0: Well, welcome everybody. We are right at the beginning of our sermon series on the Gospel of Mark. My name's Andy. I'm part of the pastoral team here at BCV, and it's great to be with you. Last week, I took some time, and I talked about, well, what even is a gospel in order to kick off this sermon series to help us get ready for all that God has for us in the Gospel of Mark. So today, I want to give an intro to Mark's Gospel. If you missed last week's talk on what is a gospel, it would be really helpful to you. You can grab it online from our website or the podcast. Um, we also s- sent out a whole lot of resources in our BCV weekly email to help us with studying the Bible and studying the Gospel of Mark. So we'll keep sending that out for the next couple weeks in the weekly email. But if you don't get that email, just email andy at belfastcityvineyard.com. We would love to send those resources on to you and to connect you up with everything in the life of our church. Well, let's dive right into this introduction to the Gospel of Mark. Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. It compresses things into a really fast-paced narrative about the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you spend time with Mark's Gospel and you read it through regularly, you quickly get the sense of urgency and intensity of it. It's one of those documents uh, or works that you read that just feels electric. It's full of movement. It's full of journey. And everything seems to be happening right now, right now, right now. And for centuries, it was seen as kind of the lesser of the four Gospels. But that's changed a great deal now. As scholars believe that Mark was the first Gospel written, it's the earliest Gospel. And the other three owe an awful lot To Mark's pioneering work. Mark's gospel has lots of important themes that we'll come to in a minute, but its intensity, brevity, and clarity, and relentless focus on Jesus and his suffering and death becomes like an outline of the basics of who Jesus is and what he did for us. And it's almost like a training manual or outline in some ways. New Testament scholar. Uh, Don Carson says this, The structure of Mark helps the readers of the gospel understand the basic salvation events and prepares them to recite those events in their own evangelism. And as we go through Mark, we'll just begin to see a structure, really simple, clear, uh, and urgent structure uh, for sharing Jesus with people, understanding who he was and is. Mark's gospel has... It's shorter, so it has fewer stories than the other Gospels, but the ones he does include have like remarkable detail uh, in them, mostly because of the eyewitness testimony of the Apostle Peter. An example of that is in Mark chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000. Mark makes sure to tell us that the grass that everybody sat down was green. So really vivid recollections of somebody who was there. And Mark, more than any other gospel, brings out the humanness of Jesus, his emotions. Uh, He shows Jesus uh, in moments of sorrow and disappointment and amazement and anger and fatigue and more. And if you want to know Jesus deeply and feel that he's distant, Mark shows us that he is not just fully God, but that he is fully man, He feels and experiences things that you do. And so, if you just feel distant from him, the humanity of Jesus will come out in Mark, and Mark's gospel is for you. So, who wrote this gospel? Who wrote it? Well, the best evidence is that Mark was written by someone called John Mark. Uh, And John Mark, if you know anything about the New Testament, he pops up uh, a few times in the New Testament. He was not one of the 12 apostles, he was from Jerusalem, and his mother was called Mary. He's a cousin of Barnabas, the encourager, who we meet in the book of Acts. And the early church uh, used his mother's house for a gathering place. And we know this from Acts chapter 12, verse 12. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And I just wanted to pause and just say, uh, mothers and fathers here... um, Your kids being around the things of God, particularly in your home, is really, really important. Bringing them along to things, certainly like church and kids' ministry and stuff like that, but just having them around atmospheres and environments, certainly in the home, is really, really powerful. Because there's huge evidence that John Mark, son of Mary, was around these early church gatherings in the home as she opened her home. For the, for the apostles and the early church to gather. And at some point, he was led to faith by the apostle Peter. So if you're concerned about your kids following Jesus and getting the most uh, out of life with him, think about this deeply. How can you use your home? How can you bring your children along? They're in the atmosphere of faith. Well, anyway, uh, we know that John Mark went on Paul's first missionary journey. We see this in Acts chapter 12. Verse uh, 25, Uh, we know that he left them at Perga from Acts chapter 13. We know that Paul and Barnabas had a huge row over whether John Mark should go with them on the next uh, second missionary journey. We see this in Acts chapter 25. Uh, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and did not continue with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So they actually parted company over this. But we know that it all gets worked out uh, because John Mark starts appearing in Paul's letters. We see this in Colossians, where he mentions Mark, the cousin of Barnabas and he speaks positively about him and then also in Philemon and 2 Timothy. Uh, John Mark turns up in Peter's first letter uh, where Peter calls him my son uh, and Peter is really important. The church uh, historian Eusebius who was writing in the early 300s A.D. quotes somebody called Papias who was a bishop in Asia Minor and writing around 110 A.D. And Papias is important in the study of the early church, uh, because he knew two disciples of the apostle John, Aristoton and John the Elder. And they passed a lot of things on to Papias, but one of the things they passed on to him and told him was this: Mark became Peter's interpreter and wrote accurately all he remembered, though not in order whatsoever he remembered of the things said or done by Christ. For he had not heard the Lord, nor had followed him, but later on, as I said, followed Peter. So we know from Papias, who heard it from two disciples of John, and the Apostle John told them all this, that, that John Mark became Peter's interpreter uh, for when he would preach. Uh, and he was with him in Rome. He was like his right-hand man, translator, because Peter was probably preaching in Aramaic, and... And then Mark would translate and things like that. Uh, Peter was then martyred in Rome in AD 64 under the emperor Nero. And so sometime just before Peter's death or just after it, John Mark wrote this gospel based off of the eyewitness testimony of Peter and a few others who were there and part of the events of Jesus' life. And after writing his gospel, Mark traveled preaching the gospel in regions of Italy including Venice, and he ended up in Alexandria in Egypt, where he was the first bishop there. And he was eventually martyred there in the late 60s AD. And then in the 800s AD, some Venetians came. He was so important to the Venetians that they came and they stole his body, or parts of it, and they brought it back to Venice, where they say it still is. And it's uh, the remains of Mark, they say, are in the Church of St. Mark, in Venice, a very famous basilica there in that city. In Christian art, Mark is always pictured with a lion and often a winged lion as his symbol. And Mark gets the lion because of his intense and robust clear presentation of Jesus the Lion of Judah and the early church took the first few verses of Mark which we'll get into next week. They took these first few Mark view verses where Mark tells of John the Baptist crying out in the wilderness. They took it to be symbolic of like a lion roaring and Mark's gospel just starts off with like a roar. So they they gave him the symbol of the lion. And here's a picture of a statue of The man himself, St. Mark, this is atop the cathedral church of St. Mark in Venice, and you can see him there in all his glory, and below him is the golden-winged lion. So who was it written to? Well, it was written to Gentile, which just means non-Jewish Christians in Rome. And again, that's where Peter was, and John Mark was with him, interpreting, translating, uh, for him, helping him. But we can, so we, we know that's where he was, and that's probably who he wrote it to. Uh, but we also can tell from how he writes and what's actually in the gospel that his audience was non-Jewish. He explains Jewish customs uh, that Gentiles wouldn't know. Uh, he translates the Aramaic and Hebrew phrases into Greek for them. So that tells us like he's writing to people who don't know Jewish customs or, or the language, and then he includes a lot of what Bible scholars call Latinisms, where basically he translates Latin words into Greek characters, and he's, uh, that's the Roman influence there. And so you can, you can tell an awful lot, and scholars can tell an awful lot about these documents just from studying them and reading them and comparing them, and it's such a fascinating and interesting world to be a part of. Uh, so that's who it was written to. Well, why was it written? Well, one of the reasons it was written was to preserve eyewitness testimony, to help teach people about Jesus. You know, uh, even in our world today, like everything important is written down. And so the story of Jesus, the eyewitness testimony of the first apostles, was incredibly precious and important. And as the apostles aged, they knew these things had to be written down and preserved for all these churches that were springing up everywhere. Uh, but another reason why Mark's gospel was written uh, is to strengthen Christians amidst severe suffering and persecution. Uh, we, I mentioned earlier the Apostle Peter dies under Nero uh, in AD 64. He was crucified upside down because they definitely were going to crucify him. But he asked, could I be crucified upside down because he did not consider himself worthy of the same death As his Lord Jesus, and uh, there was a great persecution of Christians under Nero because a great fire broke out in Rome, and Nero wanted needed somebody to blame, so he blamed it on the Christians, which ignited this huge persecution, and many Christians were martyred, including Peter. And part of the reason Mark wrote this gospel would would be to show Christians that who were under severe threat and pressure that Jesus faced what they were currently facing, that Jesus suffered persecution like they are facing. And he, he wrote this to strengthen their faith because in the gospel you can see Jesus betrayed by one of his closest friends and followers, as many of them had been betrayed, and as many of them had watched their friends be betrayed and then sent to their deaths. Jesus knows exactly what that is like Jesus was falsely accused of working for the devil uh and he was blamed for many things by the religious leaders and so were these first Christians in Rome they were they were Uh, scapegoated, as it were, and under severe pressure. And Jesus suffered the same kinds of things. Jesus was put on trial and unjustly convicted on a false testimony, as many of their friends and family would have been put on sham trials and convicted and then sent to their deaths in this great persecution. And then Mark is the only gospel that tells us that when Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, that he was with the wild Beasts it says in Mark chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 at once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan all the other gospels tell us exactly the same thing but Mark adds he was with the wild animals and angels attended him." Now, why does Mark say he was with the wild animals? Well, one of the hallmarks of Nero's persecution were Christians being thrown to the lions or being thrown to the wild animals to have to fight them and eventually be torn apart by them in the midst of this horrific persecution. And he probably included that Jesus was in the wilderness with the wild beasts to show them that even Jesus has suffered like they suffered and they can follow him with confidence. And Mark will show us a suffering Jesus who invites us to pick up our own cross and follow Him. And His first readers, suffering and undergoing incredible persecution would have been profoundly encouraged by this. And maybe we aren't suffering the same kind of persecutions as they were, but if you are suffering today, Mark is a gospel for you because it shows us so clearly. Jesus, who suffered but conquered through suffering, died for us and rose again and is now in glory, and is here profoundly with you. Let's talk a little bit about the structure of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Remember from last week, the Gospels point us to how to point us to Jesus and how we should put our faith in Him and follow Him as a disciple. And they make no apology for that. They're historical documents. They're accurate historical documents. But they have an agenda which they don't hide. They want you to follow Jesus. The Gospels are simple enough to read through quickly and to understand and get the gist of them. They're some of the easiest parts of the Bible to read and they're some of the most exciting. They're all about Jesus, the most compelling person to ever walk the face of the earth, so they're simple documents, but they're also complex documents, and um, they're intended to be read over and over and over again and internalized into us. To they, They're intended to provoke us to think and to meditate on. They're also carefully designed documents to tell us things directly, uh, just plain as the nose on your face, but also through the narrative flow. Old Testament allusion, the different themes that they have, and the very structure of the Gospels themselves are designed to communicate things that the author wants us to see and know about Jesus. And we're going to see all of that in more and more in Mark's Gospel. And Mark's begins his Gospel really, really clearly. Uh, and we'll unpack this in detail next week, but it says the, it starts off like just starts with the starting gun fires, and off we go. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And it's just like right there. It's good news about this person, Jesus, who is the Messiah and the Son of God. And he just right away makes his claim. This is who Jesus is. And then in the rest of the book of Mark, he's trying to persuade us, and we get to decide for ourselves. A good way to think about the structure of the book of Mark, is a, a drama in three parts. And the, our good friends at the Bible Project give us a great way of understanding this three-part drama. Part 1 is chapters 1 through 8, verse 26. It's set in Galilee. Part 3 is chapters 11 through 16, set in Jerusalem. And part 2 is chapter 8, verse 27 through chapter 10, is on Jesus, on the way from the 1 to the Other. And all three parts in their own way push us to consider who is Jesus. That's what Mark wants us to chew over. Who is Jesus? And part one reveals Jesus right away as Mark thinks he's the Son of God, the Messiah, and he's he's unveiled as like this dynamic miracle worker announcing God's kingdom. But you will see in our in the first chapters of Mark, that first section, he's always running into problems with the crowds and the religious leaders, wondering who are you, who who do you think you are, kind of things, and the disciples themselves, who do you th- who who are you, kind of thing, and the religious leaders and the crowds and even the disciples, they expected a certain type of savior, a certain type of Messiah. But we will see Jesus not willing to bend to their expectations. And by the end of the first part, even the disciples are struggling with this question of who is Jesus. And then part two, again, chapters 8 through 10, Jesus is a series of conversations. And Jesus asks the disciples, who do they think that he is? And it's going to be Peter that answers that Jesus is the Messiah. But again, they have a very different understanding and expectation of what uh, what they mean by the Messiah. And Jesus will explain in a series of conversations that he is the Messiah, but he's an Isaiah chapter 53 type of Messiah. In other words, a suffering servant king who will give up his life for the people in Jerusalem. And he tells the disciples and he tells us uh, in the hinge point of the gospel, kind of a this really important section of the gospel it 's mark chapter eight verse thirty four uh, He tells us he he called his disciples uh, the crowd to him along with his disciples, and said, "Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and to take up their cross and follow me it 's this hinge point of the gospel and discipleship and and A sign of what following Jesus is like and the kind of Messiah that he is. But even with the predictions of his death, they don't get it. They don't understand it. Uh, In this second section, we have the transfiguration where Jesus goes up on a mountain with three disciples. And they see him in his glory and with two Old Testament saints there with him. And Mark places that event in this second section to kind of counter the disciples' fear and unbelief. So that we, the reader, if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, understand that just like chapter 1, where Mark tells us that this is the good news of Jesus, the Son of God, we now have Jesus in this second section as it ends on a mountain with a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Jesus is God's Son, the embodiment of God's glory. But He is now on His way to Jerusalem to give up His life. Mark is trying to tell us, with the structure of his book, who Jesus is. And then in part three, Jesus makes this royal entry into Jerusalem. He gets into conflict with the religious leaders, and he ends up betrayed, on trial, and then sent to the cross. And then the climactic, one of the climactic scenes in chapter three is he dies on the cross. It's a Roman soldier. It's not one of the disciples. It's not one of the religious leaders. It's not one of the crowds that follow Jesus. It's a pagan Roman soldier is the first person to truly grasp who Jesus is. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. With the structure of his book, Mark wants to show us his central claim that Jesus, the crucified and risen one, is the Messiah of Israel, the Son of God, and the true Lord of the world, and anyone who puts their faith and hope in Him will find life and forgiveness and wholeness in His name. So, Mark, in places, will say it explicitly, and he will say it even with the very structure of how he carefully designed his work. Uh, last week, we made a big deal about how the Gospels are eyewitness testimony. So, I just want to talk about Peter and the eyewitnesses and the Gospel of Mark just for a moment. And again, for Mark, Peter was his main. Eyewitness source. He hung around him. He heard him teach and preach over many, many years. And we heard him tell a story about Jesus, and uh, and uh, how, but, but how do we know this other than Papias's, uh and the early church testimony that I read out earlier? Well, we can actually tell from the Book of Mark itself that Peter uh, is the main source. Peter is the most prominent disciple in the document. Uh, he's mentioned any in, more than any other disciple, and he's present more than any other disciple or character than Jesus, other than Jesus. And if you read Peter's sermon in the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter ten, verses thirty-four to forty-three, it's actually an exact outline of the book of Mark. Uh, and if you compare the two side by side, um, we just see Peter's preaching. And how he preaches it, he preaches about the good news of Jesus, uh, that he begins in Galilee, he talks about Jesus' miracles and power, then he talks about uh, his journey to Jerusalem, his death on a cross, he talks about his resurrection, and then his appearing to the disciples. And Peter's preaching through this, and it just tells us that Peter's preaching would then become the structure of the Gospel of Mark. That sermon in Acts chapter 10 is a really good outline of Mark's Gospel, so his testimony and his preaching over years, that John Mark would have been around, framed the structure for the work. Also, Mark uses a literary device common to a lot of books in the Bible called an inclusio. An inclusio, which is a fun word to say. Uh, but in all that it means is it's, it, an inclusio is when a theme, a word, a location, a person, a phrase... Uh, bookends, a paragraph, or a section, or even a whole book of the Bible. And anywhere you, anytime you see an inclusio, you should pay attention. And part of the reason why the biblical authors use them a lot, is because if you're writing in, ancient Greek, in Koine Greek, which the New Testament was written in, or you're writing in Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, which the Old Testament was written in, uh, punctuation doesn't work the same way as it works in English. And it's very, very different. And so they needed signs to... to, to clue the reader in on what's important or when is a section. So they often used inclusios, repeated phrase, themes, ideas, names, places. So anytime you see something like that, something repeated as you read through Mark's gospel or any book of the Bible, pay attention, underline it, and do some deep thinking and even praying about it because it's the author trying to communicate something to you. It's trying to, to highlight something um, and again, it's an author's way of structuring something, structuring the work to get your attention to show you what is important. Peter is the first disciple to be named in the work, and he's also the last disciple to be named. So he forms an inclusio, which is Mark's way of highlighting his importance and who his main source was. He, um, he hides Peter as his source in plain sight as it were. Peter is also the one in Mark's Gospel who answers, again at that hinge point. uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 34, when Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? It's Peter, the spokesperson for the disciples, that makes the announcement that you are the Messiah. Another important thing to think about is how Mark and the other Gospels portray Peter as rash and bold, kind of a ready-fire-aim kind of guy. And as they're not shy about telling us about Peter's failure, that he was the one who denied Jesus three times and betrayed his friend, in other words, a complete and utter failure. But he's a failure who's redeemed. And Mark is Peter's discipleship story and journey. And something that actually builds my faith in the truth of the Gospels uh, is that the one who would become. The leader of the church, Peter. In the book of Acts, he's the leader of the church. uh, The one who was powerful in the early church and had a lot of influence. Uh, He allowed the four main accounts of the life of Jesus circulated through all these churches to prominently feature his failure. That just doesn't happen today. People in power cover their tracks. They don't, it's rare to see transparency in people in power. Mark is Peter's confession. This is Peter's confession of his failure as a disciple but also his encounter with the cross and resurrection of Jesus that transformed him, and saved him, reinstated him as a friend and servant of Jesus who would change the world. If you've ever felt like a failure If you felt like a failure in following Jesus as a disciple, Mark's gospel and Peter's story is for you. There's lots of other named and unnamed people in Mark's gospel, and again, that's important. Biblical scholar called Richard Barkham says this, Many of these named characters were eyewitnesses who not only originated the traditions to which their names were attached, but also continued to tell these stories as authoritative guarantors of their traditions. In some cases, the evangelists may well have known them. So these named people in the Gospel of Mark. And then there's unnamed people. And it's the people that are named in the Gospel. They're named because you can go and ask them. And an example of this is Simon of Cyrene, who carried Jesus' cross, uh, is named in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But only Mark names his sons, Rufus, And Alexander, why does he name his sons Rufus and Alexander? Well, because they're still alive when Mark is writing this gospel. They're part of the Christian community and they're telling, they're going around telling their father's story. You can go ask them about the veracity of that particular account. And there's examples like this all over the gospels. They're they're eyewitness accounts written while people were still alive who could, could contradict any embellishments. To me, it's, it's, it builds my faith so much. It's powerful evidence for their veracity. So here's some of the themes we're going to be journeying uh, throughout Mark's gospel. And and for me, these themes are some of the reasons why we should care about it and why we should spend time reading, and not just reading it, but studying this gospel. One theme is the, well, who is Jesus? And we've already talked a bit about it. Uh, Mark is... You'll see him having Jesus tell people who have an encounter with him to keep who he is a secret. They maybe get a miracle or he he delivers them of a of a a dark spirit and he tells them, don't tell anyone who I am. It's it's this big secret thing. And that's partly uh, Jesus did that, partly to protect himself from the expectations of the crowds. Uh, But James Edwards, a biblical scholar, makes the point that it's only at the cross that we understand who Jesus is. Only at the cross can Jesus be rightly known, not simply as a great moral teacher or as the most noble person who ever lived, nor only as a miracle worker. At the cross, Jesus is revealed as the suffering Son of God, whose rejection, suffering, and death reveal the triumph of God. There's this thing in Mark where it's so intense and fast-paced, and it's like Jesus is racing towards Jerusalem to get to the cross, And he's also telling people to be silent and and don't tell people who I am. Keep this a secret. And I think uh, James Edwards is right. It's only at the cross that we understand who Jesus is, what he did, what he did for us, who he is now, and how we know him. And that's one of the reasons why Mark is like, I'm on my way to the cross, and it's intense. And so if you are wrestling with who is Jesus, then Mark's gospel is for you, and you should care about it and read it. Uh, another theme is journey. Uh, Jesus is always on the move in Mark. He's always going from one place to another. He's on a journey. and he's on, Of course, He's on His way to journey towards Jerusalem, but there's journeys within journeys. He's always on the move, and the disciples are struggling to keep up. And we are all on a journey of faith. We are all starting somewhere. Some of us are long in faith and, uh, and really, really well established. The others of us are just On the other end of that, and exploring who is Jesus and do I want to follow him? And no matter where you are on your faith journey, the gospel of Mark is for you because there's going to be time to reflect on your journey with Jesus. Do I want to go on a further journey with Jesus? Where am I in my journey with Jesus? And to consider that on my journey through this life, Jesus, if I invite him in, will be profoundly with me. Another reason to care about it and to think about it and to read it and to reflect on it is the theme of the kingdom of God. Mark's gospel shows us Jesus preaching about and inviting people to come into the kingdom of God and to do that through Him by putting our faith in Him. It's a huge theme in the vineyard. It's the lens that we view scripture through and, and life through and it's, it forms an important part of that. We'll be teaching and preaching about it and we get to explore afresh, which is really, really exciting. Uh, But there is a way of life that we can enter into right now. We can follow the way of Jesus and His kingdom. And we can now begin to and learn to live under the rule and reign, the gracious, loving, kind rule and reign of Jesus. We can live in deep friendship with Him, the King of the Kingdom of God. And Mark's Gospel is going to help us talk about that. It's going to help us embrace that. And my testimony is there's no safer, more exciting place to be than in Jesus' Kingdom. And then there's no more important question to ask in these days that we live in, is how then should we live? We should embrace the Kingdom of God and live under its gracious rule and reign. And we do that by coming into faith, and discipleship and apprenticeship to Jesus, who is with us as our friend, brother, and Lord, and as the king of a very great kingdom. Another important theme, and it goes along with the kingdom of God, is discipleship. Mark's gospel is the gospel of discipleship and what it means for us who want to be serious disciples or apprentices or followers of Jesus. Again, Don Carson says this, Mark wants to help his readers understand who Jesus is. Uh, and, and who Jesus is and what real discipleship involves. Jesus is the Son of God, but especially the suffering Son of God. Believers are to be followers of Jesus who walk the same road as Jesus, the way of humility, of suffering, and even, should it be necessary, of death. Mark is going to be a fresh reminder to all of us about what it means to follow Jesus. He isn't like my magic helper to make my life go better, like a divine personal assistant to give me everything I want. He's actually Lord of heaven and earth. And just as Mark eight thirty four, which we've talked about before, that hinge point of Mark's gospel says, we must deny ourselves, pick up our own cross as Jesus did, and follow Him. And my sense is that this is a word in season, not just to our church, but to every church. That there needs to be a renewed focus on disciple. And if people were actually robustly, seriously living out the humble, willing-to-suffer way of Jesus that picks up a cross and follows Him no matter what, that people might actually notice the church again and listen to its voice. Another important theme is that Jesus is the suffering servant king, and it links up with the kingdom of God and and how we are to be the disciple of Jesus. We're, We're disciples of a suffering servant king. Mark won't let us miss that, that Jesus is the Son of God, He's the Messiah, He's the King, but He's a suffering servant King. He's God's Son revealed in suffering, and the cross, instead of a defeat, is actually His enthronement as King, and the resurrection is His vindication. Jesus is a King who went to a cross, and He defeated sin, death, and the devil, and He did this in love for the world and for you and me. He is a different kind of Savior. And if you are fed up with celebrity culture, if you're fed up with people in it for themselves, if you're fed up with power-up culture and those in power just serving themselves and building their own brand, if you're fed up with that in the church with pastors, if you're fed up with that in politics with political leaders, if you're fed up with that in thought and cultural leaders just trying to hog the limelight and the narrative and to just be in these things for themselves, then come and follow Jesus, the suffering servant King. And particularly in the church, we need to reject celebrity culture and remember that our Lord and Savior is a, was a suffering servant king. And we get to be like him and should be like him. And that should mark us, the church. And we will, if we can do that, stand out in culture. We will uh, have a voice again if we authentically follow Jesus I believe the world wants Jesus. I believe the world wants to follow Jesus. I believe the world is drawn to those who suffer with dignity and lead with humility. And Jesus does both of those things. And He also leads in great power. And when we walk the same road as He walked, when we carry our own cross, and we're willing to serve, and we're willing even to suffer, the world will notice what we have, and they will want Jesus because they will see Real communities like ours making him plausible. So if you suffer today, be encouraged. You serve a suffering servant king who will vindicate you and who will lift you up. And Mark's gospel has something to say to you. As I mentioned before, the theme of discipleship failure, it's all over Mark. And uh, all the disciples, and not just Peter, repeatedly fail. And if you've ever failed as a disciple, which is all of us, but if you've ever failed uh Mark is for you. Uh, In Peter's story, there's this journey of failure, redemption, healing, hope, and then even leadership. Uh, What if that's for you? What if that's for your story? So if you are here today and you're like counting yourself out because you failed as a disciple, Mark's gospel just might be the thing the Spirit of God uses to bring you back and to restore you, and even to set your feet on firm ground, serving and leading in the church of Jesus Christ. All these are great things we're going to see in Mark, and are great reasons to invest in this gospel. And the times that we live in are chaotic, and they're unpredictable, and we are under pressure. Which means we need a gospel like Mark, and we need a Savior. And the disciples and the crowds and the religious leaders in Mark, they all want a Savior. But they want one that fits with their own understanding uh, of what that is. And they want one that will do their own bidding. Well, we also want that. We want a Savior. And we want to make Him into our own image who will do our bidding, don't we? Well, Mark isn't going to let us do that. And he offers us something better. Something far better and more powerful. He offers us the risen Jesus, the suffering Son of God who dies for us and leads us and saves us from our sin, saves us from death and from ourselves and from our weakness and from our two small dreams. So let's take Mark in this season seriously. Let's take Jesus seriously and allow the Spirit of God to change us, challenge us, free us, bless us, teach us, and use us as we study and take this powerful gospel of Mark really, really seriously. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church or if you have any questions or comments head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com